0: Well, last week, we started a new series called 100% Pure, God's Call to Holiness. And last Sunday's sermon is really simple, but it was the baseline for what we're gonna discuss these next two weeks. And here's the premise of last week's sermon. God is holy. We need to understand that God is holy. He's perfect, he's without error. There's nothing hidden about God, he's perfect and he is holy and he is different than us but yet he's approachable and he's called us to him and until you realize that god is holy and understand that then you'll never understand his call to holiness now holiness has all kinds of complicated definitions but we're going to we're going to repeat the definition we gave last week because i want you to keep remembering it is this holiness is simply being close to god That's all holiness is. Being close to God. Being near Him. Being near His presence. Because if you realize that God is holy and then you get close to Him, it'll change you. If you've been to a museum, and I know you have, you'll you'll notice that an artifact that someone famous has used becomes special, it becomes set apart. You'll see just something simple like this pen, maybe with a feather coming out of it, was the pen George Washington used to sign this amazing document. And because George Washington touched it, because, because he touched it, it's a special pen. It's set apart. It's protected. It's unique. Why? Because Washington touched it. There may be a military uniform A great general war, like General Andrew Jackson and the uniform. This is his uniform. And he wore this uniform and and he used it at the Battle of New Orleans. So because of that, it's special. It's not like any other uniform. In fact, we're going to protect it. We're going to put it behind a glass case. We're going to know that it's unique because it was war. It was worn by somebody special. See, this is what happens when the touch of God comes on your life. I said, God is holy. God is holy. And whatever God touches becomes holy. If God touches, if God touches a song, it's a holy song. That's why some songs are different than just a song you can hear on the radio because the touch of God's on it, it's a holy song. God touches a place, it's a holy place. But you see, God's not into places and stuff like he used to be under the new covenant, covenant. He's into you. So God touches you, you're holy. You you might not feel holy and you know you're not perfect. And you know your mistakes better than anybody else because you know your thoughts, but our God knows your hidden thoughts and the touch of God on your life makes you holy. He's holy and whatever he touches is holy. That's why our theme scripture, we're gonna look at it two different ways today. The theme scripture that we're looking at every week is 1 Peter chapter one, verse 15 and 16. 1 Peter chapter one, verse 15 and 16. But as he who calls you is holy, that was last week, you also be holy in all your conduct. So this is talking about a directive. This is a verb, be. This is behavioral choices. Be holy in all your conduct. In the way you live your life, since it is written, we're gonna look at this in a second, you shall be holy for I am holy. Do you know what it means when it says it is written? It means it was written. And that's Leviticus chapter 19. That's where it was written. So let's go to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 is stuck right in the middle of a long passage in Leviticus, now, I, I, try to re- I do read the Bible every year. And the Bible is a transforming book. And if you don't learn anything from today's sermon or learn anything from my ministry, you can learn this right now. Try to read your Bible every day. It's hard to read it every day, but try to read it every day. Having made that disclaimer, I'm gonna tell you that Leviticus is a tough book to read. If you really, really enjoy Leviticus, man, you're a lot more holy than I am because it's not always the easiest book to read. And there's a lot of rules in Leviticus and there's a lot of things that don't necessarily apply to us anymore. It was written to a people. Some of it does, some of it doesn't. Some of it was simply about community living. So it was simply civic law things that pertain to that people in that time. Other things are timeless. And the scripture confirms those things which are timeless. So between Leviticus, you might wanna write this down, Leviticus 17 and 26, those chapters, between Leviticus 17 and 26, it's unofficially known as the holiness code. You know, it's kind of, this is the rule. This is the holiness code. This is the way things ought to be. And right in the middle in between chapter 17 and 26, there's kind of a reminder of why there are all of these rules. You know, reminders are important. My favorite quote, I'll I'll say this about once every three months, is we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. And it's true, I mean, sometimes we forget why we do the things we do. So we need to be reminded. So Moses is giving all these rules in Leviticus, all these laborious rules, rule upon rule upon rule and right in the middle of this section of scripture 17 to 26 in chapter 19 he says this and the lord spoke to moses saying speak to all the congregation of the people of israel and say to them you shall be holy for i the lord your god am holy and peter repeated this in our theme verse for this passage this is where when in peter first first peter 116 it said it is written it's written right here it's written right in leviticus 19 you shall be holy because i am holy so here are all these different rules of what a holy people should be now i want to talk about your holiness today like you you and your call to be holy and the first thing that i want to remind you of is this is that god's people always reflect his holiness God's people reflects his holiness. Have you ever known a family that in your community, whether the community you're living in now or community you used to live in, had a great reputation? Their name meant something. I'm thinking about a couple of families in my home church in Texas. And these families brought strength to our church. They had characteristics about them. Yesterday I attended a funeral of a, of a man I've known for many years and his two, two of his granddaughters attend this church with their husbands and with their children. This man was an elder at a church I used to work at and he's a godly man and because of that his children are leaders in their church and his grandchildren are becoming leaders in our church. And when you say his name, his name means something. The name of his family means something. A people have a reputation. Churches gain reputations. People have, because a group of people form a personality. I want you to understand something. From the beginning, when God chose a people, he chose that people to be holy. He chose that people to reflect who he is. That's why Leviticus gives all of these rules and says, this is what holy people do because God doesn't just challenge us to be holy and then doesn't give us instruction. He leads us. He led us by the law and now he leads us by the spirit. My kids, the the first month of school, It's like a part-time job to fill out all the paperwork. You have to. The school, I mean, they're covering everything, and you're filling out all this paperwork. And even now, more than just the class itself, the individual classes have paperwork to fill out. And I just filled one out last week with a new semester starting. It was a big handbook of rules for a Latin class. And none of the rules were any different than any other class you've ever been part of. My seventh grader was taking this class. But I had to sign the rules for this because that teacher was saying, to to be part of our class, these are the rules. To be part of our group, this is the way you're going to act. And God has been that way with his people. God has said, because I am holy, there are certain characteristics that my people need to have. And let's just start with the 10 commandments. God said, if you follow me, you don't do these 10 things. He doesn't leave as a mystery. He says, if you follow me, don't do these 10 things because my people are here to reflect my character. And that's not an Old Testament reality. That's not a Levitical reality. That is a reality for you and I today Right now, And I wanna reinforce this with some of the scriptures the Lord wants to show us today. And I, and I really feel we're gonna share several scriptures today. Some of the, these are not in you version and they're not on your review. So you're gonna to wanna to write these down. But the first one comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter one. As Paul is greeting the church of Corinth, which we later found out was a really messy church that had all kinds of sexual sin in it. But he introduced his letter to the church by saying to the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified, that's a good biblical word. You know what sanctified means? They're set apart. So those set apart in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to write the letter. So Paul's saying, Hey, listen, you are sanctified and you're called to be holy. So this is not an issue of God used to require something of people. Now, because we're in grace, we can do whatever we want. No, we understand that grace is the only way we have access to heaven. We don't earn our way to heaven. There's nothing we can do to get into heaven by ourselves. We have to have Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. That's the only access to heaven. But in response to that, we are called to be holy as a people. We're called to be a holy church. The book of First Peter echoes this also in its introduction. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Look at that phrase there. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness, into his marvelous light. What, what a beautiful scripture. God's saying, We're different. We're special. We're holy. We're set apart for him. We're not like any other people of the world. You see, sometimes, sometimes as a church, and I'm now talking to the church in general, we want so bad to be relevant that we've overlooked his call to be holy. We want so bad to be accepted, we've overlooked his call to be sanctified. And this scripture screams to us today, no, we're not like any other group that meets in the world. I've been part of the Rotary Club, I love the Rotary Club, but we're not the Rotary Club. We're not the YMCA, we're not a country club. We are a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We belong to God. Last passage I want to share with you on this is out of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. It says this, and I think this is chapter two, I can't quite remember. Is it chapter two, Christy? Yeah, Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. Ephesians two nineteen. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And members of the household of God, look at this part, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hey, this is big business every Sunday, guys. Every 242 group, God is doing something. Every youth service, God is doing something. Every women's Bible study, every men's Bible study, God is doing something. We are not putting in our time. We are being built into a holy temple that God is at home in. We are being set apart, not in a kooky, weird way, but in a God way, because to be holy is to be close to God. This church is called to be close to God, period, period. That's why we're here. There may be other reasons why you came. And I don't want to belittle that. But I want to tell you why you're here. You're here because God's called you to be close to God. And he's called us to be close to God together. That's why the friendships among us have an anointing on them that friendships at our job don't have. Friendships and conversations that we have should have an anointing, a mark of the Holy Spirit, a holiness, a closeness of God in what we talk about. That's the goal. I'm not saying this to put pressure on you like after church in the lobby, everybody's like, "Uh, let's think of something holy to talk about. I'm talking about the attitude of our relationships. We're pushing each other. I'm pushing Chris to get closer to God and Chris is pushing Dominic. Dominic is pushing Charles and we're all trying to get closer to God together. Why? Because there is a purpose. We're here. We're being built together. And we're we're, we're every, you know, the foundation has been laid. And every time we come together, every time we pray for one another, every time we move closer, it's another brick. It's another nail being hammered in a strategic place. We're being built together. God has called his people to be holy. Let me just ask you this question. Do you want to be part of the popular church or the holy church? I'm not saying one minute, you know, I guess our church has some level of popularity. I'm not thinking of any other church that I know of. I'm thinking about our church. Do we want our church to be a popular church or a holy church? See, I've got to ask that as a pastor. I want to, pastor, a popular church, or a holy church? Do you want a church that's convenient or a church that's conforming, that's conforming your thoughts and attitudes into someone who loves Jesus more and loves people to know his love, to share his love? That's what we're called to do. See, God wants us to see his vision for his people, and that will change the way we act. Here's the second thing I wanna say is this, is that Jesus personifies holiness. Jesus personifies holiness, make no, make no mistake about it. Jesus wasn't just a good person, then God decided to make him holy at the back end of his life. Jesus was declared holy from the beginning. When the angel appeared to Mary, she said, this child is holy, Peter. Peter said, you are holy. At the very beginning of Mark, when an unclean spirit manifests himself in the synagogue, that unclean spirit said this in Mark chapter one, verse 24. You can read it with me. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There's only one holy that is our God. The Holy One of God. In the book of Acts, when the apostles preached the gospel, And declared the risen Jesus. They called him the holy God. Jesus is called in the revelation holy. He is holy. Jesus personifies holy. He shows us that there is only one who is perfect. There is only one who is flawless. There is only one who is without error. There is only one who is without sin, who has walked on this earth. And that is Jesus our Lord. He personifies holy. He is holiness himself. It's so important not to overlook. And it bridges us to the third thing I want to say today is I'm called to holiness. I'm called the holiness. So follow me here. Follow me in what I'm saying. For the last 6,000 years, God has always had a people, always had a people who are holy, who are set apart, who are different from the world. Then he personified holiness in Jesus, when Jesus came. He was the example of holiness. There was no one like him. Holiness resided within him. And now, here in the year 2013, in Hendersonville, Tennessee, God wants you to know that holiness is not something just to read about. Holiness is not something in the theological books. Holiness is not something that resides within a denomination are within an opinion on some kind of social matter that someone attaches their opinion to. Holiness is you being close to God, you being part of his chosen people, you accepting that being close to him will make you different in a good way, you understanding that Jesus personifies holiness and you understanding that you're called to be holy. That's why Romans eight twenty nine is an important verse. Now, remember Romans 8, 28 is God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's all of our favorite verses, especially when we're going through a tough time. God works all things for the good of those. That's bumper sticker scripture right there. That, that's placable. But look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. That is a very poetic and beautiful way to tell you, you need to be like Jesus. You are called to be like Jesus. Jesus is holy and perfect and separate and different. And you're called to be like him. His supremacy, his supremacy is unmatched. It's unquestioned among people of faith. We can study Jesus our whole lives and we'll still be learning about him because revelation comes the more we seek him. Like a song we sing sometimes, the more I seek him, the more I find him. The more we go after God, the more we seek him, we find him. God has a special people. And then God came in the form of Jesus as a special person. Now God is coming to you right now and saying, you are called to be holy. You are called to be like Jesus. For those He foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, the best teachers and the best coaches and the best mentors and the best bosses don't let you stay the same. I mean, if someone is in authority over you and they just coddle you and just work on your self-esteem all the time, they never challenge you and they never ask you to make a sacrifice, they never ask you to make a change, then they are not the ideal leader in your life. See, our God loves you. Our God's a jealous God. God wants all of you. God wants all of you, not because he's trying to take away from you, because he knows there is great potential in you because he's the one who put it there in the first place he's created you he's gifted you he's chosen you to be alive here in this 21st century because you have a gift and a call and a destiny that is a match for this world right now today and what the enemy wants to do is he wants to he wants you to dwell in sin. He wants you to dwell in wickedness. He wants you to think that that you're not some kind of special person and that others have a propensity to do well. And others are more disciplined in their devotions and others have a better temperament that That causes them to uh, manifest the fruits of the Spirit easier. And all of those things are just excuses and they're just lies because the one who called you is holy and he loves you and he wants to be close to you. And when you get close to him, it will begin to change you from the inside out. It's a beautiful thing. God can change a heart. See, God's in the heart changing business, changing the heart. It's not just a position that has to do with entrance into heaven. Changing the heart is a daily battle. You know, we prayed for you this morning. We prayed as a worship team because we knew the presence of the Holy Spirit was going to be here. And when God is lifted up and his presence is here, there's only two things that can happen. You can either change or you can become more hardened. And I urge you in the Lord, don't harden your heart. Don't turn from God. Don't, don't mentally disengage just because maybe some of the things you're hearing feel uncomfortable. Or maybe you're fearful of change. Are you afraid of sacrifice. Can I tell you, can you trust the God who loves you? The God who saved you. The God who sought you out the God who redeemed your life, the God who forgave your sins, the God who gave you a new future. He doesn't want to make your life worse. He wants to make it better. And when you get close to him and you have fellowship with him and you get touched by his presence, it changes you. See, I'm not here to offer behavior modification. I'm here to offer transformation. And I can't give you transformation, but I worship a God who knows how to give transformation. He's a good God he's a good God. He loves us so much. I want to ask our ushers to begin to position themselves to distribute our communion this morning. Here on the second Sunday of the month, we take communion together as a church and it's a precious and holy thing. It's a beautiful thing because in this time and this age we live in with so many different styles of churches and types of churches and types of music and types of preaching, it simply gets exhausting sometimes. Everybody has opinion about church. Everybody has a preference about church. I understand that. But the bread and the cup centers us of why we're here. Maybe it's our Leviticus 19 when Moses said right in the middle of of the holiness code. This is why I'm giving you these rules. I sometimes feel like in the middle of our service, the communion screams to us. This is why we're gathered. We're gathered for him. We're gathered for Jesus. We're gathered because there was a cross and he gave himself on the cross. We're gathered because he sacrificed and he was a substitute and three days later, he rose again from the grave and that's why we're here. And he's our everything. Jesus is our everything. That's why you come to church, because Jesus is your everything. And so we're not a perfect people, but his love gives us perfect love and perfect love casts out all fear. And he's moving us forward in him. So I want you to know today that every single one of you are welcome to take communion. You don't have to be a member of this church it's open to anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. But because communion is something we take with great seriousness, if you would prefer not to, you can let it pass, and there'll be no judgment cast upon you. But if you take the bread, you take the cup, in just a few minutes, I'm gonna come, and we're gonna pray together. And every single one of us, with me being the leader in this, we're going to repent. And we're gonna turn our hearts back to Jesus. And before we eat the bread, And before we drink the cup, we're gonna submit ourselves to his grace and love. And the word of God says in the book of 1 John that he is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. In just five minutes from now, seven minutes from now, every single person in this room can be completely righteous before the Lord. His grace is wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. We have that opportunity. So as Beth ministers to us in song, take the bread and hold it, take the cup and hold it, and I'll come back and we'll pray together and the Lord will...